0: Hey there, welcome to Vista Community Church Online. My name is Brian, I'm one of the pastors here at Vista and we are so glad that you've chosen to be with us today. We wanna know that you're here because we wanna be here for you. Whether you're looking for community or connection, maybe you're looking for prayer or maybe you have a specific need during this challenging season, we wanna come alongside you in some way. Head to vistacommunitychurch.org. Under the Connect tab, you'll find Connect Online. There you can fill out an online Connect form. We look forward to hearing from you. We also wanna take a second to thank you for your faithfulness in giving. The church isn't closed. God's church is alive and moving. Lives are still being reached and needs are still being met through you. You can join us in reaching more and reaching further by giving online under the Give tab. Thank you again for being with us today. We are excited about this new sermon series, and we hope you are excited. We hope you're encouraged, and we hope you're challenged. Let's go.
1: Hey, Vista. It's good to be with you again as a church uh, during these times, it seems maybe more important than ever, if that's a statement we could make, that uh, to turn our eyes together towards Jesus. Uh, I have the privilege of, of doing that with you uh, this week. My name's Adam. I'm a part of the teaching team here, but it's been my pleasure to be a part of VISTA for the last 12 years. Uh, my family and I usually attend Worthington, and I get to help out in a few different spaces, uh, sometimes with musical worship, sometimes just behind the scenes with some of the teaching team uh, sometimes in connecting to partnerships, uh, which is part of the reason that I have the privilege of speaking with you today because of uh, these partnerships that we want to highlight. And, 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 the, and the depth and the beauty of having partnerships. Um, we we, we want to we celebrate those things. And it might seem that there's a little bit of a juxtaposition there. It's, it seems strange maybe to even be celebrating anything in these times. They feel like such troubled times. Uh, we, we're actually recording on a Thursday. Uh, I'm sure you already knew that it was a recorded message, but we record on Thursdays, which means just last night, Wednesday, all across our country, here in the United States, we saw different protests and demonstrations where people voiced their, their pain and their anger about what had happened just this past week in Minneapolis with another life lost uh, in, 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 a, in a violent moment with racial overtones. Where, where, where George Floyd's life was lost and, and, and yet again the same wound that has barely had any time to heal at all in our country is ripped open again. And we, we compound that, of course, with the economic uncertainty that our country faces, that, that many of our, our friends and family face. And, and on top of that, there's the, the uncertainty regarding the virus. With all of this in the mix, there's this temptation for us to think, These are unprecedented times. You've probably heard it said. I wonder how many times you've heard it said that this is unprecedented. But here's the the really painful truth. Actually, none of it's unprecedented. Not in our country's history. You don't have to go back too far before you find real economic uncertainty. And you can see it on a cycle. You don't have to go back very far at all to find racial tension and pain and, and violence in our country. And, and all the anger that comes with it. And you don't have to actually go back all that far to find epidemic and pandemic. Uh, it, the temptation to, to call this unprecedented is, is understandable, but maybe, maybe it's actually not quite correct. And maybe while that's a, a, a sense of pattern and pain in our country's past, there's also something there we can be thankful for. We can be thankful that there's a precedent. We could be thankful that that not everything is new. I actually think we could say it this way. The only thing that's new right now, the only thing that's truly unprecedented is you and the choices that you will make in the face of this uncertainty. You see, we live in troubled times. Although that's not actually new, it may be new for us, these troubled times. But we have timeless truths that that we can lean into That we can grab a hold of, that we can share for a world that's desperately in need of it. During this time, which feels so time sensitive, with things changing rapidly all the time, we can turn to timeless truths, the timeless truths of Jesus, and put them on display through the church. This is how God has always intended it to be. He's always intended for His timeless truths to be put on display by His people. There is a precedent of God's people faithfully putting him on display. That's what the church can and must be. In these times, we must put the timeless truths of God on display. We can and must do this. We must follow the precedent of the church and the faithful who've come before us. Because just like when Jesus sent out the 12 in the book of Matthew, in the chapter 10, and he said to them, you have freely received, now freely give. We have also freely received from the Spirit of God, through the mercy of Jesus, with the leading of the Spirit, we must freely give, just like those who have come before us. You see, we have to join in with that chorus, this this cloud of witnesses, the people of God. That's who we can and must be, the people of God, right here, right now. We have to be the people of God, a diverse community, partnered together, introducing Jesus to the world. An unexpected, unfamiliar, dissimilar group of friends and co-laborers on mission to reach more and reach further together. We have this precedent in front of us of faithful people who became co-laborers with God. People who became co-laborers with the Spirit of God and with each other, united in a way that doesn't just happen. United in a beautiful way that can only bring attention to the Spirit of God because it doesn't happen otherwise. We see that this is the Spirit that Jesus intended to give us. In fact, the, the author, Luke, wants to bring that to our attention. In his, in his dual-volume work, Luke acts, he wants us to understand the importance of the gift of the Spirit that Jesus has, has, has made available to us. He wants to draw our attention to the fact that the very same Spirit that, that raised Jesus from the grave is the Spirit that we follow where it leads us. Just think about the way Luke actually started his narrative of Jesus' ministry we, we see at the beginning of Luke this beautiful birth narrative and, and, and songs being sung about the goodness of God. But what follows next is this. When Jesus is going to initiate his ministry, it says this in Luke chapter 3, verse 16. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Just to foreshadow a little bit, Luke brings our attention right back to there when he gets to Acts. It's it's when we get to Acts that we find that that Jesus has indeed accomplished all things, and these men and women will be baptized by the Spirit and fire when we get to the, the, the moment of Pentecost. But we see that this Spirit leads Jesus as he ministers to the people, calling people from far and wide to come home to God. Find rest in God. It's the same spirit right after we find John the Baptist announcing that the Spirit will be a gift to us from Jesus. It's the same spirit that leads Jesus out into the wilderness to, to be tempted and tried and found faithful. And that same spirit leads Jesus through the countryside as He heals and He brings peace that passes understanding to the people. Those who had been far from God welcomed home by Jesus in that very same spirit. And it's this spirit that that Jesus announced was was with him and in him and working through him in Nazareth in chapter 4 of Luke. What a beautiful chapter. In chapter 4 of Luke, what do we see? We see Jesus sit down in the synagogue, open the scroll to Isaiah, and say, the spirit of the Lord is on me to to announce good news, to to say that all things are going to be made right, and be made new, what Jesus announces, what, what Isaiah had foreshadowed and understood ahead of time is that Jesus would come to reverse all that was wrong. Here's what the scroll said in Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What Jesus announced In the spirit, as the spirit anointed Jesus, was a year of jubilee. In the midst of trouble, Jesus didn't wait for things to get cleaned up before he came. He's incarnate in the middle of the mess. His spirit led him into trouble so that he could announce that all would be made right. And it's that same spirit that he has delivered to us. You see, what's interesting about this moment in Nazareth is this. Jesus was celebrated for his message. They said, who is this? Isn't this, just, isn't this just Jesus, Joseph's son? And they celebrated his message. But just after that, Jesus said, here's who my message is for. It's for everyone. It's actually rather subtle in the text. They asked him to do some miracles. He says, well, listen, Elijah was sent to other people outside of the boundaries of Israel. And so am I. I'm going to to do this for the poor, not just in Israel, but outside of Israel. I'm going to do this for the widows, not just in Israel, but outside of Israel. You know what they did next? They tried to kill him. They celebrated his message, but they condemned him for the the audience and the target of his message. They could not abide by the idea that that God's kingdom borders are flung wide, that, that, that the breadth of God's love cannot be fathomed. And, and, and they tried to push him to the fringes. You see, it, it would take the Spirit of God to, to lead these people through their, through their folly so that they could see with, with new eyes that God's love is not boxed in by any kind of ethnicity, cannot be found uh, in any one culture, that no single culture could ever bear the full weight of the glory of God. This is the good news that Jesus came to announce And not everybody had ears to hear it, but the church can and must be a group of people who have ears to hear the good news and hear it for just how good it is, because God wants to give us that same spirit that would press the borders of his kingdom outwards, that would press the gospel's edge outwards even further. He wants to give us that same spirit so that we could be co-laborers with the spirit the church can and must be co-laborers with the Spirit. Let me prove it to you. We get to Acts chapter 1. We get to Acts chapter 1, and what do we find? We see that Luke reminds us that even though Jesus' ministry on earth is done, his work is not. Can we celebrate that in the midst of a storm? Can we celebrate the fact that even though Jesus' earth, earthly ministry is done, it's not an announcement of the finish of his work? He's not done with his work yet. What do we see? It says this to start the book of Acts. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Began to do. Not that he has yet finished. And what do we see at the end of this? At the end of this time, Jesus says, you just wait. You just wait because the Spirit's going to come and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The promise made by John the Baptist at the beginning of the book of Luke comes to fruition at Pentecost, when when the people of God were baptized by the spirit of God so that they could carry the message of God to those who were far from God, to press the borders of the kingdom of God outwards. The the gospel's edge needs to be pressed outwards. It's for this reason that that Jesus came to recreate us so that we could be co-laborers in his kingdom. Here's how Martin Luther put it. Martin Luther says it this way. Uh, the great reformer, right, from the 1500s. He says this, God does not work without us. God does not work without us because it is for this very thing he has recreated us and preserves us that he might work in us and we might cooperate with him. Thus, it is through us that he preaches, shows mercy to the poor and comforts the afflicted. You see, what Jesus announced in Luke chapter 4 by reading the scroll from Isaiah is actually still being fulfilled in His church. It's still being fulfilled in His people as they are co-laborers with Him. And what do we see immediately upon this moment When, when they were baptized by the Spirit of God? We see these disciples immediately begin to preach the word. They had been freely given and they freely gave. In, in Acts chapter two, the moment of Pentecost, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And and they spoke in the language that the that the people who had come from far and wide knew best. What what sometimes people call the heart language. And these people had definitely come from far and wide. Just listen to this list of where these people had come from. They they were Parthians. They were Medes and Elamites. There were residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans, which sounds like an insult, but it's not, they're just from Crete, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. If you look at a map of this, which you you can, I think we'll have one up for you, you can see just how far and wide they had come in order to hear the truth of God in their own language. Many theologians actually call it the reversal of the Tower of Babel. The reversal of the Tower of Babel, where, where people once upon a time, back in Genesis 11, had sought to bring attention to themselves, to make a name for themselves. And they had sought to build this tower, and they had rejected the plans of God to spread out and fill the earth with his, with his glory. And, 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 and of course, God had, had, had to take the step of confounding their languages. But here, their, their languages are united by the Spirit of God. They had built a tower in chapter chapter 11, and now they were gathering around the strong tower of our God's love. Our God is a strong tower, and we gather around him. The church can and must gather only around him. That's what we've been called to do, and that's the precedent that God's people have, have set. What we see here in this Pentecost moment is not just a reversal of the Tower of Babel, but a foreshadowing of the kingdom. We look at Revelation 5 or or Revelation 7, and what do we see? People of all tribes, all nations, all tongues gathered around the throne. What what can we say about this moment and what what precedent it sets for us? We can say this. The church can and must be partnered with the Holy Spirit to right that which is wrong. The Tower of Babel had gotten us off track, and God was righting that wrong. We must be co-laborers with him in righting that wrong. But there's more. The church can and must be faithful to point to God's future. If he's given us a glimpse of his kingdom, we must live according to that future. We must be faithful to that future, even in troubled times. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I know where this is headed. I will live according to where this is headed and not where I am right now. I will be faithful. That's what the church must be. That's the precedent that the people of God have set. The church can and must faithfully point to God's future. And here's a third thing we see. The church can and must be a bridgehead to those who are far from God, who are as of yet far from God, those who God would would have gathered in, those who live in the corners of the world that God would have a sweep to bring them home for his glory. Yes. This diverse group of people had become believers and were unified around the tower of God's strength and refuge, and this was for God's glory and for our good, and the church began to live it out right away. They began to live it out in truth and in spirit. Just look at chapter four of Acts. What do we find in chapter four of Acts? We find that all the believers were one in heart and mind. This is a favorite theme of Luke's, actually. He he uses a word, Often, homothemidon, it, it basically just means that, that they were united, like in mind and in heart, and, and that they shared everything that, that they had for each other. It wasn't in the absence of trouble, but in the face of trouble that they shared all that they had for one another. And actually, Luke wants to give us an example of somebody who acted just this way. Here we see Luke tell us about the tender-hearted and courageous Barnabas. What does it say at the end of this little passage, verse 36 of chapter 4? It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet so that nobody had to go without. We're introduced to this son of encouragement. And what we find is that God had big plans for this Barnabas, Plans that fit within the, the context of the church, in the context of God's beautiful design of, of people far and wide partnering, partnering together to bring glory to God and bring, bring the gospel news to, to the edges of the known world. That's what we see in Barnabas. We see it uh, every time we hear from him, that he's faithfully and courageously partnering with the spirit of God and with the people of God to bring glory to God. Let's let's fast forward and see where we find Barnabas next, and we'll find his partnerships coming together. In Acts chapter 9, we meet him again. This time, he's escorting a violent murderer into the midst of the church. You see, Saul had just been converted on his way to to Damascus. And and of course, uh, knowing Saul like we do, We, we know that he's ready and raring to go. He's ready to hit the ground running, and he does, and he makes even more enemies. He used to have, have enemies in the church, and now he's actually making enemies in the synagogue. He's making enemies everywhere he goes. But now he wants to come to Jerusalem and meet with James and with Peter. And the, and the Christians there won't have it. They're afraid. They want, there, they want there to be a divide between Paul and at least Paul's past and the church. But Barnabas won't have it. Now, not the son of encouragement. What does Barnabas do? He leads Paul, Saul, into their midst and he introduces them. This son of encouragement, this tender hearted one, is courageously partnering with Paul. The, the most unlikely of partners at this point in the narrative. It, it's, it's somewhat possible, actually, that Barnabas maybe knew Paul from before. Uh, that, that, that there's uh, a connection maybe uh, from their past. Some, some biblical, biblical historians uh, surmise that maybe that's possible. But whatever the truth may be, we can see just how courageous and how faithful Barnabas is being to the call of God in this partnership, right? Actually, this partnership is, is one where he's actually going to even bring Paul into a position of authority, not just bring him home into the church, but then set him up to thrive as he follows the Spirit of God's plan for his life. The next time we see Barnabas in this partnership with Paul is in Acts 11. Here's what it says. In Acts 11, it says that that Barnabas was sent up to Antioch because they heard that that the Spirit of God was doing something there. And because Barnabas was a faithful follower of God, he wouldn't be left out. And the church of Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he got there, he saw just how big the job was. He said, I can't do this on my own. I'm going to need a partner immediately he sends for Paul, who was actually not that far away. Paul, who had made more trouble in Jerusalem, had been sent home by the church uh, to Tarsus so that he would be safe. And that actually put him in proximity to Antioch. And this meant that he could partner with Barnabas for the gospel. And what do we find happens at Antioch? We find this. It's in Antioch that the, 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 the disciples of Jesus were first called Christians. It's there that we find this nickname that has reverberated throughout history is first given. And a lot of us know that it, it refers to this idea that they're, that they're little Christs. But I actually want to get deeper into the definition for you. Here's what it means. The, the word Christian uh, could be defined this way, partisans of the Messiah, ones who, who, who put Jesus in his rightful place as king. That's what it means to be a Christian. There's, there's other nicknames in the ancient world. People who followed Pompey in the civil wars of Rome, they were called Pompeians. People who followed Jesus and said, this is the one who's in control. This is the one I will put on display. This is the one I will wrap my life around. They were called Christians. And it was in the partnership of Paul and, and Barnabas and Antioch that we first see this come into fruition. This, this kingship of Jesus on display. It's this that will, that will unite us. Our partnerships are diverse. They're unexpected. They're inexplicable, except for this. We're united around the kingship of Jesus. The church can and must be united. United at the throne of Jesus, but but not uniform. We need each other. We need each other. Barnabas and Paul, as far as I can tell, couldn't have been more different. Barnabas, this sensitive encourager, this courageous follower, and, and, and Paul, this intense and fierce, single-minded teller of truth. Both were needed. We, we couldn't do without one or the other. We needed them both to, to put Jesus on display. No one culture can fully put Jesus on display and no one person can put Jesus on display the way he deserves to be put on display. I, I've, heard it, I've heard it said that that. God's best idea was grace, but that his second best idea was that we would need each other. And man alive did Barnabas and Paul need each other. They discipled one another as they grew in the faith and as they grew in the spirit. We can actually see this tension. Sometimes it wasn't pretty. Sometimes it was rocky, as relationships across cultures and personality types can often be. We actually find that in Galatians chapter 2, Paul kind of condemns Barnabas for his lack of courage regarding the Gentiles. And if you look at Acts chapter 15, we see that Barnabas and Paul had a parting of ways where Barnabas wanted to bring young John Mark along with him and Paul had refused. Can I just tell you, I think Barnabas was right. Yes, John Mark had failed. John Mark had failed him in the past and Paul wasn't willing to give him a second chance. Can we not see that Barnabas was right? And, and that Paul needed to see this on display? Yeah, we need each other. We need each other. Let me demonstrate how we need each other across cultures and across d- any kind of divide that there might be. Uh, there, there's, this, uh, there's this New Testament scholar, uh, and he's uh, renowned for traveling the world. And here's what he says. Uh, his name is Mark Allen Powell. He has found across different cultures. He talks about the the, the prodigal son story in different places. He says, listen, when I go to America and I tell the prodigal son story and I say, okay, seminary students, recount for me what went wrong with this boy. And they say, oh, well, he was wasteful. He didn't steward his goods the way he ought to. He wasted them. And he said, okay, probably you're right. And he says, but when 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 I go to Africa and I tell the prodigal son story, And I ask them, okay, what went wrong here? they say, well, he should never have gone off on his own. He should never have abandoned his family. We must live in community, not for ourselves. He says, okay, you're you're probably right. He says, when I go to Russia and I say, okay, tell me, seminary students, what went wrong with this, with this prodigal son? They say, well, there were circumstances beyond his control. There was a famine in the land. He couldn't control that. Notice this. We can't read the scripture by ourselves. Us as Americans, we need to hear from Africa so we can see the true beauty and the thoroughgoing truth of Jesus. And and the people of Africa need to hear from us and from the people of Russia, the faithful followers of God. It's only once we have all of those pieces of the puzzle together that we have any semblance of the depth and the beauty of the teachings of Jesus. We need each other. We need each other. We need to have partners here and and in the far-flung corners of the earth. We've benefited tremendously from partners here. What can we see that we've learned from from Pastor Dan in Kenya? Or or Asia's Hope in in India and in Cambodia? Or or nearby where we see uh, the the bridge? Or or our friend Sharon Kozar? Or name those, those partners. What have we learned? We've learned that that material blessing is irrelevant in respect to what we have uh, in in the most important sense, uh, spiritually. We we have found that things like joy, kindness, and faith are are untouchable by the the circumstances of life when we are working in concert with the Spirit. We have have found uh, that we need to learn to set aside our own agenda, to to see every moment and every encounter as divinely appointed. I promise you, if you ever spend time with Pastor Dan or with, with Savorn in Cambodia or with Sharon now in Papua New Guinea, you'll see that they have learned to set aside their own agenda, to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit for any one moment, knowing that every moment could be divinely appointed. We've learned to set aside our agenda and, and celebrate instead the agenda of our King. We, we've learned that pain and suffering can be the cauldron in which uh, true godly dependence and hope is developed. We've learned that who we are and where we are and what we have is by God's design, and we must trust it. We learn over and over again uh, uh, more and more about our God. And, and in return, we've benefited our partners as we try to faithfully work out the. The, the the truth of God in our own lives. We've we've been a part of them coming to see the breadth and the beauty of the kingdom of God. Arrive at Preken Cambodia and see how their eyes come to see again, freshly and anew, just how far and wide God's kingdom is. That it would bring people from the literal other sides of the earth in love just to be with them. We we've had the, the blessing and the chance to to actually provide some, some training for, for leaders of the church um, outside of uh, Phnom Penh through New Life Churches uh, and, and various other places like in uh, Kenya, where even just a year ago, uh, a, 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 a team went out from Vista that provided some, some measure of, of training in the spirit from those people. We've been able to provide even substantial financial uh, needs and, 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 and material needs. We have had the joy of being in partnership with the people of God all around the globe just in the very same way that we have seen Barnabas and Paul be in partnership with one another. And there's one last way that we can see from Barnabas and Paul that we must be following the precedence of the church and those who came before us. Here's what Barnabas and Paul show us. The church can and must be reconciled to God and reconciling others. The church can and must be reconciled to God and reconciling with others. Remember we saw actually Paul and Barnabas were at odds with one another? Remember how we saw that in in Acts chapter 15? Fast forward a few years, what do we see? They've been reconciled. They've been reconciled. That doesn't just happen. Remember the troubled times we live in. Remember the way the wound is pulled open again and again in our country. And then, and then think of the precedent of the fact that the thing that brings the, us together is, is the Spirit of God and the kingship of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, what do we see? Paul celebrating his friend Barnabas. What do we see in Colossians chapter 4? He says, to the, to the church and call us, say, hey, John Mark says hi. What does that mean? It means he was working with John Mark, the very, the very person he had held at arm's length before. The spirit of God had softened Paul's heart and he had learned to embrace even those who had failed him. This doesn't just happen. It only happens when we faithfully listen to those who are different from us and, and read voices and, and works of those who aren't just the same as us. We challenged you that way just last week, to be listening to someone who's different than us and asking them, what is God saying to you? To be reading uh, perhaps uh, a work of the church of someone who's a person of color, perhaps an Asian theologian or an African theologian or a female theologian. These are the voices we need as we're in partnership with the Spirit of God and with the people of God to, to deliver the message of God. How are you doing on that? Are you you listening well to what the people of God are saying? Are you partnering with their voices and and listening to what they have to say? Are you reading, intent on hearing again from the Spirit of God so that you could be more tightly knit in partnership with the Spirit and with the people of God? Because here's the truth. For all the things that the church can and must be, none of them require meeting in a building, not one. If we go back through this message and we see what the church can and must be, all of them require a listening people of God, faithfully following the spirit of God to the gospel's edge to deliver the message of God. All of them require partnership with people across the globe and across the street. The church can and must be those things. And there's nothing about our present circumstances that put a damper on that whatsoever. The doors of the building may be closed right now, but the doors of the church are always open. We must be about our Father's business. Let's go.